Welcome to The MacGuffin Men. I'm Alex, and with me, as usual, is James. Uh, you can check out our website, themacguffinmen.com, to keep up on our previous episodes. Um, before this one, we talked about Unbreakable. Before that was On Her Majesty's Secret Service, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Nomadland, and Bad Trip, the Eric Andre movie. Um, so yeah, themacguffinmen.com. Check those out. All right, James. Yeah. Here we are uh, today talking about No, a 2012 Pablo Lorraine film. Um, most of the movies we discuss, like last week, for example, uh, we did, or last episode we did Unbreakable, was by an established filmmaker, somebody whose sort of name is kind of out out in the world. And pa- Pablo Lorraine is an established filmmaker now. But this is the movie that put that filmmaker on the map. And uh, to people like us, he really came to prominence in around 2016 with Jackie, which is the only other Lorraine movie we've done a podcast about. Um, and he's probably about to go through a similar version of the same thing this fall with Spencer as Princess Diana movie that's coming out. Um, but No was the first movie of Lorraine's to garner any real worldwide attention. Um, and I really like the way Pablo Lorraine makes things. I particularly like this movie and i guess my first question for you is if you're to sum up this movie what it's about outside of like the actual nuts and bolts of the plot what what how would you describe the theme of this movie the overarching theme uh oh that's a good question because i think it's Uh, a very big movie i think it it tackles a lot of a lot of things yeah i think uh no i think that's true and i think yeah that's why i have a hard time kind of summing it up as one because one thing i Think impresses me about this is that it's not very heavy-handed but you can say a lot about oh it manages to say a lot or at least present a lot of different themes and subjects so mm. uh it's I, it, that's tough to sum it up <laughs> as yeah. one um can you i i think the well i mean yes and no because i think this is almost a cop-out answer but to me this movie like the question of this movie is what is real like top to bottom, I think basically every every aspect of this movie is about reality um, and how you're shaped by your reality, how you shape your reality, how what you do to shape your reality then shapes you, you know, like, yeah. and I know these are all just like, like we're stoned in a basement in college talking about how yeah. the real the world really is, man. And we've just watched The Matrix for the first time or something. But <laughs> that is really what I get out of this movie. And um I don't think that comes to it definitely didn't come to me on first viewing because there's just so much information being given to you in this movie and there's not a lot of uh, explanation of that information. It's kind of expecting you to just sort of keep up. And since there's so much information about a topic that I didn't really know anything about, um, I, I feel like I was operating at a deficit and it was just hard to figure out what information was important just to understand the movie sometimes you know uh-huh. um and also the tone of the movie is is hard to get a hold of as well um but uh but yeah the more i watch it the more i just sort of come around to the idea of renee dealing with reality and like what his reality is and what the reality he's operating in is and i i really think that that is something that is carried through throughout the whole movie. Um, but I think the main two things are Renee's, uh, Renee's personal journey and his work and his occupation combined with the techniques of actually making the movie and the usage, um, 
the mixing of archival footage with um, footage of those same people playing themselves like 25 years later, you know? Yeah. And just in general, the decision to shoot this movie on what was essentially a news camera of the late 80s. Um, I think it really just sort of, it all comes together. And I think that's the thing that really carries the movie for me like when I think about it, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's really extra slippery for some of the reasons you mentioned. And for, for me personally, I only saw this uh, within the last week to, to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm a, about a decade late to it and it's depicting a time that was 15 years before that. And just, uh, as you said, the, the way that it's shot on this uh, contemporaneous technology to, to when this was happening in 88 um, is my understanding at least we can get more into the, the way this looks more specifically later mm-hmm. um, just try and and as well I also did not have a great understanding um, of this event and um, you know it, it's almost uh, it's tough because it's the there's so much um, so much violence and, and death and just just these atrocious uh, events sort of on the periphery of this movie you know you see them in the commercials and you you do see a little bit of violence in in the real time in real time as the story's being told but um not to the degree that pinochet's rule you know re- truly existed as i know it um uh so it's it, it's just tough to to kind of get your arms around the, the way this looks and when it is and as you said you know we're seeing people playing themselves or getting makeup put on them and then playing a version of themselves 25 years later that uh, it's uh, from 25 years earlier um and yeah it's 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 a tough tone to strike as well and if someone described the plot to me i would either think this was kind of a a tongue-in-cheek sort of political comedy with like a uh, black comedy sort of yeah like a wag uh, the dog sort of thing. yeah exactly yeah. wag the dog's a good example mm-hmm. where it's it's mostly comedy and there, there's some dark moments because it's about a war and um you know when you <laughs> this is kind of true of this i think as well or um you know we can have this debate but this also has sort of a pretty dark layer to it when you zoom out that um this is sort of a, a a sad time a sad turn of events for the political discourse that the advertising thing works so well and i think you and i would agree that um the right side won in the end but there there might be something lost uh within that victory well yeah i think i think the um the big thing to point to there is like obama won be- in 2008 because he learned how to mobilize social media and then by 2016 the Re- republicans had figured out how to better mobilize it you know and right. it's just sort of like um you know the new technology evolves basically and and a new way of uh, a new piece of technology or a new way of doing things always evolves it's not going to stay locked in at the first first usage and that's what um i mean advertising has evolved to get to this point in by the late 80s by the time we're we're meeting renee um and it just continues to and it just keep continues to be worse and worse for society but um the yeah and i think the the thing that we talked about a little bit with the usage of um you know people playing themselves from 20 plus years ago and the mixing between of archival with um new footage shot for this movie, you know, I think that's the way that they do it is really interesting because um, 
you know, I could think of two examples where that happens, sim- similar things. Like, you, I'm sure you've seen Man on the Moon, the Andy Kaufman movie with Jim Carrey. Yeah. Yeah. So David Letterman and Lauren Michaels are both in that movie playing themselves from 20 years uh, before that movie was made. Dave Letterman doesn't even try to make himself appear like he's in the past. Uh, and Lauren Michaels tries desperately to make himself look like he's uh, <laughs> Lauren Michaels in the 70s. And um, But that since that's presented from... It, the, those scenes aren't shot any differently from the rest of the movie and the rest of the movie is shot like a movie. Um, it doesn't have that quite as weird of a feeling or maybe it has a weirder feeling because you know what is happening. Whereas yeah. in a lot of no you don't necessarily know what is archival and what isn't you. If you're looking really hard, you can figure it out pretty easily. Um, but, uh, but if you're just sort of watching this movie through for one time and not really keeping notes, uh, it'll just go, go right by you, you know, um, including yeah, tra- that, transitions. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Including transitions of somebody in 2012 cut to footage of them in 1988, like, because of the forgiving nature of these cameras that they're using. Like it's, it's not like they're shooting you in 1988 on 35 millimeter and then you in 2012 and 35 millimeter and you can see all this detail. Right. Um, and the other movie that it reminded me of from around this time, I think milk was 2008, 2009. Um, that's a movie that used a lot of archival, um, Gus Van Sant's movie about Harvey Milk, but the re- the movie parts with Sean Penn are shot like a traditional movie or a Gus Van Sant's version of a traditional movie. So the archival stuff really stands out. And I think the the way that Lorraine does it in this movie is just further blurring that line. And yeah. I think that's so cool. Um, and the other thing that, that, that ties into for me is just that must feel like... I've never lived under a dictatorship, but it seems to me like not having a grasp on what the real world is like could be a real problem for some, like a conscious human being inside of a dictatorship. Like you're constantly forced to wonder if something you're experiencing is real or just being dictated to you, you know? And yeah, and I, and I think that's particularly true in the eighties. And I mean, there are modern dictatorships that shut down the internet or, you know, tweak it or censor it, but I imagine with analog technologies that just must be that much more difficult if all you're getting is television um it's hard to know what what to believe in that sense so i think that's a good point for sure for sure yeah and i I think the other interesting way that this movie plays with time and i called it slippery before but in just in hearing your descriptions of it and how they go um you know use these real life figures playing themselves in the past uh or yeah, playing themselves in the past, mixed, uh, intermingled with true footage of them from the past, is the way that this movie will cut um, one conversation mm. with you know in several locations. You know, it's the, I think about them when he kind of first agrees to take on the no campaign, and they have that meeting. Well, I liberal use of the word meeting. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they, admittedly, they just walk around and drink and talk and eat. Um, but it's this. You know, if if you were to see this dialogue on a page, it, it seems like this is a, a discussion had in one location. Um, but we we jump all around, and it's different times, different locations, but it's this this seamless, fluid conversation, and that just adds to this uh, this pervasive feeling throughout the movie of not really being able to to get a hold of the time, and that goes to the. Um, the, the use of archival footage, but also the the use of 
the the cameras that we talked about as well yeah absolutely and what you're talking about of the jumping jumping around within the same conversation like jumping locations that's by like Lorraine's standards, that's pretty restrained. You know, I think we talked about this a lot on Jackie specifically. Like that's his that's his most like we're just jumping from place to place in the middle of a conversation. Um, I think maybe even from city to city at one point. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's his, his most aggressive version of that. Um, but this is you can I don't know. It's, it's fun to see like the little potential nugget of it beginning um, here. And and yeah, you're right. That does sort of continually blur the lines of um just everything because it's just sort of like a conversation seems like something so simple to depict in a movie. And it's just like, they're throwing that question of reality at you too. You know? Yeah. And I think it, it sort of brings in some of the themes of this movie as well. You've sort of talked about and just the nature of Renee's job, you know, um, this movie is trying to communicate a message in, I, I mean, in the way that most movies that aren't just pure commercial fare are trying to communicate a message. I yeah. don't think that this was, um, extremely polemic or, uh, you know, th- I didn't think this movie really, really dug its heels in the sand and had this very strict um, message that it hammered you with over and over. You know, I think Lorraine had a, an idea in mind and, it, it, you know. Yes, uh, there, I, I agree. There are things he's trying to say, but it's not as straightforward as, as some things could be. It's, it's more not- of a personal, it's like a human being's personal journey as opposed to like a statement on politics in general. Yeah. yeah okay yeah sure and um that you know we think about what he does for a living and how he presents these things and just him it's sort of an offhand remarks but he says this doesn't sell when, <laughs> when he gets shown what to me is a very emotional version of the no commercials you know it's not that it has no emotional impact but it does I think it does two things wrong for him it doesn't sell the positive thing which I think as an advertiser um, is what he understands motivates commercial decisions Mm -hmm. and this gets touched on a bit more clearly in the movie but the second thing is that um, some people are still afraid to come out and vote and you know we have these older people these younger people um, who either think their vote means nothing or witness such violence against people that they love or, you know, to themselves and they just happen to survive it where some people weren't uh, as fortunate. Um, that, I, you know, you see where these older, more conservative people are coming from that this seems like the message we should send is to just hammer home how many people were disappeared, how many people were tortured, how many people were killed because when you think about the worst things of any regime, that, that's got to be it, right? But we have Renee who looks at this problem through a different lens. And how, how do we motivate people to buy the product that is the no campaign or that is uh, democracy? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a different solution for him because, you know, when, when you're a hammer, every problem looks like a nail and he's doing what he knows uh, works or what he believes works. And I think by the end of this film, we understand he was correct because mm. uh this seemed like such a it's it seemed like a fight that he was not going to win it seemed like a fight that no side was not going to win um i just again i don't know enough about this to really speak on it as anything close to an authority because mm-hmm. i'm just not educated in it um but my understanding of it is that uh this was not supposed this was very david and goliath and that um 
the fact that the no one was a big surprise so uh it's interesting to see uh the positive angle of this going but also as we were saying that this sort of quick cutting um and you know giving up on some of the rules of this time and space to make sort of a sexier product um that's what Renee does and that's what I think we see Lorraine doing to as you said to a a constrained degree relative to what he's going to go on to do but there is the beginning of that there and uh yeah just that notion that this is what Renee is doing this is what Lorraine is doing to us as well yeah for sure and you know the when we're introduced to Renee at the very beginning of the movie he's selling cola free cola not unlike he will soon sell freedom you know <laughs> like or, or some version of freedom you know and and the difference between those ads you know veronica mentions this that it's the copy of the copy of the copy of the copy which like three years later would be literal nine inch nails lyrics but um the uh the idea that he's just making work that's derivative of his own work including putting mimes in everything which is hilarious oh mimes. <laughs> it's so so funny it's funny every time and it's also like thematically meaningful because mimes don't speak with their word their words they speak with their actions and i think that's uh that's an interesting um way of framing renee as well um but uh but yeah that veronica just saying that all of his work is very similar and cool she is right you know like the the biggest difference between um, any piece of media that that we see Renee create throughout or work on throughout this movie is just the soap opera commercial at the end, which is um, only different because it looks more or is specifically designed to look realistic as opposed to looking like um, looking like the fakest thing you've ever seen, looking like a commercial, you know, to the point where like I don't th- like this cola commercial, any of the no commercials. Um, outside of the ones that we actually see them shooting, I would believe anything is real or fake. You know, like I, I just don't. They look so good. Everything, every piece of commercial work that they do just looks so accurate to 1980s commercials. And <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm sure they must have shot the vast majority of them. But I believe every, anything. You know, if free cola is a product, I would not be shocked if they just used that commercial and that there were mimes in the in the commercial. <laughs> yeah. You know. But, yeah. So you mentioned Veronica, and I, I want to talk about her and the family element of this because I think, yeah, because there's a lot of things I want to touch on here because I, it doesn't seem, and feel free to tell me if you uh, see this differently, but Renee doesn't seem really politically motivated. Do you think that's accurate? Um, I think I need a little bit. I I, I don't know. I feel like she. She seems to stand up for what she believes in pretty strongly. No, Renee, Renee, Renee. Renee, sorry, yes. Um, no, yes, I agree. Renee does not seem politically motivated. Yeah, I think like, he might think he's politically motivated, but I think that would be an incorrect assessment of himself. <laughs> okay, right, okay. So that's kind of the sense I get in the sense that from reading other people's reviews and analyses. Um, okay, so maybe we can do this step by step. So what is motivating him to take on the no-cause um if it's not if it's not out of sort of this deeper political desire i think that is something that is sort of wrestled with throughout the movie i think the initial reason why he does it is because it's an idea presented to him that he wants to attempt like he just sort of he's like yeah cool i'll try that i haven't done something like that before or um 
I believe I can put my mark on this thing. Uh, and then I think he starts to wrestle with the real reasoning really towards the end of the movie. Um, or the further we go, the more he's wrestling with it. But I, I truly think the beginning is just like, this is, it's no different from saying yes to free cola. It's just something new. And maybe the idea of working outside of his agency is appealing to him because um, from what I can gather from the movie, again, hard to follow at times um, because there's just so much information. It feels like he's doing this one freelance, even though he's doing a lot of the work inside of his office, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And notably um, working against his boss. Yes. You know, Lucho is his his boss uh, who they seem to have a good working relationship. You know, this doesn't seem to be done despite him. So if it's purely a uh, career move, which, you know, it could be if he ever wants to kind of move beyond this or, you know, be seen as a uh, one of the kind of top advertisers in the country. It seems like he's very good at his job and is doing well where he is. But, um, OK, and so then we see Veronica uh, is extremely, I, I mean, I would say extremely kind of politically motivated. Yes, I, OK. I, that explains why I was confused when I, when I missed her earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she seems, you know, we, we see her, um, you know, violently attacked and seemingly not for the first time and not as though she's just a bystander on the streets who happens to get caught up in the violence. She seems like a, um, you know, very aware Involved, political. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so parallel with the story of him working on the no campaign and this macro, um, struggle for Chilean freedom that he, he's working on. And I mean, that she's working on even more. So there is this family element, you know, he, they're divorced. They have a son together. Um, she, were they married? Do we know that? Uh, that's a good question. Because I would, I would believe they never even had a real relationship and they just had a child together. Yeah. Okay. I have that in my head, but you could be right. Yeah. Um, And like, I would believe anything if you, whatever you told me, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But so it seems like they are not fully cold toward each other, but you know, it's, or yeah, they don't seem very warm to each other at the start. Uh, but it seems like his further success in the campaign, they're, they're growing a bit closer. I don't know that they're growing closer. I, I think this is just sort of standard ebbs and flows of their relationship. That's how I viewed it. Okay. Of their, their modern day relationship. You know? Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I just don't know if this... because Just because he's not seemingly really, really politically motivated, I didn't mm-hmm. know if this is some desire to impress her Mm -hmm. and build kind of a more traditional family unit and you know he says she uh you know the maid can't do everything seemingly that there's a role for this his real mother to fill that hired help could not do um yeah and renee seems to actively want veronica to be a bigger part of his life uh i think that most specifically shows up when she wants to kiss simon goodnight while renee is holding him uh and they just have this hug and you can like there's a there's a real look of longing on renee's face there you know like he he wants more of that you know yeah and and so yeah just because he's not so politically motivated i wonder if this is some desire for him to impress her is not the right word but maybe even prove that he uh is better than just 
is more than just an advertising person, you know, because that does not seem to be the kind of thing that's going to impress her. Or is this something like for for the troubles that we see her go through, she at least has some passion in her life and maybe yeah. he lacks some passion and love and um, it, it's a bit of a means to an end or maybe something in between, not something quite so cold as that as though he doesn't care about the country, but he, he's doing it just to impress her that there is some sort of mutual parallel growth in, in his willing to do something that he believes in and um, a desire to, you know, be a better partner and father. So, yes. Okay. So like he's good at his work, but does he love it? You know, I think he does at the beginning. I think he's legit. I get the feeling he's legitimately excited. And I think that's why we get two versions of the same scene at the beginning and the end of this movie. And the second one, he's like legit, clearly lower energy, you know? Um, and I think he's like, he's all the way in when he's making free cola. I think he legitimately believes he has a cool career. Um, he's doing cool things. And I think he, he also, well, okay. So that goes to the other thing. I think he believes he's a member of the counterculture. Cause if you look at the history of skateboarding, like we know skateboarding was just in the Olympics for the first time. Like that's as like mainstream culture as something gets right to be in, <laughs> to be an Olympic sport. Um, but you know, and until like the X games and, Tony Hawk Pro Skater and Vans Warped Tour like totally commercialized skateboarding and made it like a part of life. Skateboarding was sort of this niche thing and its popularity came in waves, but it was never extremely popular um, until the late 90s, you know, and it, it was that's why skateboarding is not a crime was a was a slogan that people knew in the 90s because skateboarding was viewed as a crime. And yeah. so in the 80s, it's like he Renee has maybe been skateboarding for three years and has never met a second skateboarder. Like uh, that's possible. You know, that's, that's where mm -hmm. you're at in the 1980s. If you're not living in California, you know? Um, and he, with his leather jacket on his skateboard, I bet he views himself as a member of the counterculture, even though he is skateboarding his way to work at an ad agency, you know, which is exactly the, the people who will make skateboarding main, uh, acceptable in the mainstream <laughs> over yeah. enough time, you know? Um, I think he has a, a he has an inaccurate view of himself, um, and I think he tries to hold on to that inaccurate view of himself. Like when he's, when he's on his first uh, dinner meeting of the day, um, I forget that character's name, but when he's being wooed for the no campaign, he says he wants to take the bus while the other guy wants to take a cab. Yeah. Um, he wants to be with the people. But then, you know, later after we see him watching Veronica get beat up in that police station, it cuts to him washing his brand new car, you know, or I don't know that it's brand new, but it's like this beautiful modern car. It's, um, yeah, it's like a sports car. It's not a car of the people. Exactly. Point a to B kind of and it's car. just yeah. like a hard cut, you know, and I think that's just uh, I think my view on Renee is he is somebody who thinks he knows who he is, but doesn't really know what he wants. And throughout the movie, um, I think both of those things change where he doesn't really know who he is, um, but he's starting to figure out what he wants, or at least theoretically, you know, at the end. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's sort of the... And I don't think I really even answered your question, but that probably means because I don't have an answer to your question. <laughs> no, no, no. But I think that this movie does kind of want to, to live in that middle ground. And... Um, he talks about the voters who aren't going to to come out. You know, he we we see mm -hmm. this um, this very you know cold, calculated sort of political view of um, 
of voters and breaking people up into segments and stuff. And it's all very, um, yeah, as I said, calculated for, for all the right reasons. This is the, the job of advertisers and the job of people who work in election campaigns. It's kind of how they have to do this, a uh, very sort of bean counter sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, my understanding of why Pinochet even allowed this, you know, there was this international pressure and pressure from, um, big uh, big corporate bodies not just government bodies to sort of leg- legitimize the Pinochet regime and they thought that they were going to win because for many people not, definitely not all of them many people in Chile's lives got better over those few years mm-hmm. now that discounts gigantic portions of the population who went through incredible suffering or had their lives ended but they thought because middle class and upper middle class people had things like microwaves and more televisions and things like this that they thought they had a chance at winning you know that's why they even had this uh plebiscite so we renee is working for the no campaign but is also one of the people they would just expect would vote yes you know if if you if you looked at him from a socioeconomic socioeconomic standpoint um He's got a great car. His his son lives with you know all the benefits of a financially successful white collar father. Um, even though it seems like Renee's father was exiled, I think that's the part of his personality that puts him in this other electoral group. But you know he has the microwave, he has the TV, he has these nice things. He has a train set, he has a nice house, he can afford a maid. Um, this kind of all, all these sort of things that don't line up put him in both camps. And I think that's um, what we're seeing here is a bit of the arc of him realizing that he has these benefits, but between Veronica and maybe some of the people he meets and some of the ideas exposed to, and just by being a smart person, that's why his final presentation is different than the first one. You know, he, he can thrive in this, uh, you know, this political system, but is that, morally the correct thing Mm -hmm. and is he actually kind of grappling with the morality of it more as uh he gets deeper into this well and as he gives that same speech for the third time in the movie maybe he really is realizing that he is just making a copy of a copy of a copy as he continues to go on you know yeah and that to make this sales pitch about free cola is one thing because it's just someone who's good at what he does and then to do it with this political campaign just sort of took those tools and applied it to something that was meaningful. And then I think to go back out the other way (laughs) to, to realize you can do things that have power and what you're doing is applying it to just making money for people who already have a ton of money. Um, You know, for whatever reason, if that's not the role model he wants to be, if that's not morally uh, acceptable to him if that's not what's going to allow him to make a good family with Veronica you know just for any of the reasons people make the ethical decisions they do it seems like that moment of um, consideration to me is sort of where he's at at that point yeah well and I think to talk about this it makes we should probably like transition into talking about the dynamic between you know young and old and um, specifically like a young and or sorry new and old regimes uh in the government and also the young and old equivalent of the ad um ad agency person which is the renee and lucho relationship um we are introduced to renee's father 
uh, vocally, but he's not a part of the movie. Like we never see, we never see Renee speaking to him, even though um, his father was a real football player who lived and didn't die until 2011. So he's alive when this is happening. And also, even though Renee is a composite of people, uh, two, two people, neither of whom are na- have Renee's name, um, Renee's father is a real soccer player and uh renee the movie character is not a person you know not a real person he's based on two people combined um which is another interesting reality bending thing but Mm. his father for this movie's purposes is lucho and their dynamic is it is a real father and son relationship of course tinged with um the idea of um the idea of business because they're in business together and Lucho even offers him uh, to make him a partner in the firm on the set of the microwave ad. But I think the idea, the difference, the key difference between those two people is that Lucho does what he does and doesn't really think about it. Um, and Renee does what he does and starts to think about it over time. You know, he's sort of following Lucho at the beginning. He's, I mean, he's literally following Lucho at the beginning of the, yeah. of the presentation. Um, but he's, following his his way of thinking um that making these ads is a good thing and then towards the end of the movie and the the last presentation the idea to me is that he's starting to rethink that idea and what i when i say lucho is just doing whatever's put in front of him um we see him eating constantly (laughs) um we see him the after the question about the mime comes up and we see him start to doubt maybe um putting renee as the lead of the spot, he immediately starts like slugging what is probably a very warm cola in that meeting room. <laughs> um, you know, he's eating at the the microwave ad while they're selling something that's used to heat your food. Um, and then when that last televised ad is played, the either the night before the election or the day of the election, um, he's eating alone and calls about the party and he's eating a sandwich. Like he he's eating a sandwich on the phone call and asks uh, if there's a party happening and if people are eating at it, you know, yeah. and I think that's just sort of like him. And that's the one moment where we see any sort of character beyond um, this is what I do. This is who I am. And and I think it's a credit to the actor whose name I don't know off the top of my head. And my apologies to that actor who is surely listening. Um, <laughs> I think it's a credit to to him being likable that he never comes off as a villain. I don't think I right. think he comes off as somebody I definitely don't agree with. But um I think that he can never really be shown considering his actions, even though his actions are so, so contrasted to what um, the person we're supposed to attach ourselves to, the person we would naturally gravitate to because he's the only person an American or North American viewer like us would recognize in this movie, who is Gail Garcia Bernal. Um, And he's also just a very likable actor. Um, I I think that we never really question whether or not Lucho, uh, or we don't see him as a villain, I think is interesting. And then when we do get him questioning, starting to question without words, you know, he's like trying to get invited to this party that doesn't seem like he's going to get invited to. <laughs> but it, we, you do feel kind of bad for him. You feel bad for him alone in that studio eating his his crunchy sandwich, you know? And um, <laughs> and I think that's, a, that's an interesting thing that plays out throughout the movie. And of course, um, Renee has Simon as well, his son. Yeah, but yeah, I think the the Rene Lucho dynamic is so important for the movie for those reasons. It's the difference between thinking about what's in front of you or not. You know, 
Yeah, and I think just the fact, like you were saying, that you don't, he's just not a straight up monster. Um, in the way that I don't think Rene is sort of a traditional hero or, you mm-hmm. know, Correct. a single minded protagonist with the, the good of his country and family in mind 24 7. Yeah, similarly um, to what I said about the guy who plays Lucho, if if Rene is played by somebody who just kind of rubs you the wrong way as an actor, like if he's played by the Chilean Chris Pratt, you know, then, then it's, then this movie just absolutely falls apart. But Gail Garcia Bernal, always a winner, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, and it's just a lot more nuanced and believable. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, it, uh, just when you mentioned eating, I thought of when um, Pinochet is putting the orange peels in the cannon. Oh my God. As he's eating it. Yeah. Um, again, someone else just sort of eating what's in front of him. And then, like literally taking it off the tree like this this and just very casually doesn't even seem to be hungry but it's just sort of taking from the people very casually um and yeah just putting orange peels in a can and, and the, the person with them being like what what are you doing this yeah, is, yeah. but just his seemingly um i don't know reflexive or absent-minded use of weapons and the military power just to for whatever means and it's just it's so thoughtless what he's doing and it's not done with any spite but it's just um this is a tool that i can use to do the next thing that i want so i'm going to do it yeah it's thoughtless as like a user of military technology and also thoughtless like even by littering standards you know like he doesn't (laughs) even throw it in the cannon where other people can't see it it's like resting on the lip until lucho knocks it in um but yeah no that is that is a good point yeah it is judging by um uh the, the commercials and it's i mean i'm sure pinochet did whatever he could quietly when he could get away with it but it, it was such it seemingly such a a blatantly horrible ruling of of, this, of, of chile that it, it lines up with um his very careless use of this piece of an arsenal mm-hmm. um should we I, th- I feel like we should talk about the ending um i feel like that's that's kind of all i've got left um, sure yeah the <clears throat> the Actually, I do want to point out just one one other thing uh, about the camera used in this. Um, oh yeah, sure. I, again, yeah. we haven't talked about it much, considering it's <laughs> the whole movie and very notable, and you kind of can't read or think about it without seeing that. So yeah, for sure. And I think it's a it's a very broad stroke, but it's the same very like it's like I'm sorry, a very bold choice. But it's there's it's kind of the same bold choice throughout the movie. It's not like there's intri- a lot of intricate camera moves throughout where we're like, this dolly move means this because of this, you know, it's not, we're not yeah, uh, breaking down unbreakable yet again, you know, um, the, <clears throat> the idea is basically just sort of using that camera um, adds to the theme of questioning reality, questioning your reality, questioning what's presented in front of you. And I think the, the thing that, um, I forgot to mention about that is like you you look at the no title card you've got the the pink and blue colors sort of like almost as drop shadows and you see those same colors through um throughout the movie around people usually when they're backlit like it's just this sort of natural weird color distortion that happens around certain images depending on the light and it's just inherent in this camera and um this is a the camera that they used is called the 
the brand is Ikigami and the camera was the HL-79EAL3. Um, very catchy name, but it, like it's a news camera. It was used to capture news. And that's the idea of news just to sort of capture reality. But um, that sort of distortion that happens around the image and also just the, the because you're capturing the tape, like it's just not going to look like real. It's just going to look like some version of, of reality. And I think that that distortion, those halo distortions, I think really emphasize the idea of we're using this quote unquote realistic technology, but it's still not real. Like you're not looking at this through through an eye. You're looking at this through um, technology's perception of your eye, which is still way behind the the actual uh, ability of your own eye. And I think that that just those those elements of distortion, I think are really interesting and happen constantly. But by yeah. mistake, these aren't even planned. That that is something that just happens by choosing that camera. You know. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. I know what you mean. You're not taking the specific choices bit by bit, but you make one big choice, and it's not JJ Abrams adding in more lens flares. <laughs> yes, you know, that's right. Yeah, that's the best example of that. I think. Um, but yeah, and I think the we've talked a lot about Renee's journey, and I think that um, again, like there are, I think three maybe four very i can only think of two three off the top of my head like very very important uh face journeys that renee goes on in this movie um and again a credit to gail garcia bernal because he does a very good job throughout this movie um throughout pretty much every movie i've ever seen him in of, of being understated and um you know you never you're never gonna accuse him of being like a transformative actor of somebody who who, um, oh, he's unrecognizable or anything like that. You know, he he has his tricks and he uses he knows how to use them. And I, but I think this this movie totally hinges on him being able to be being um, like you caring about him when he's not saying anything. And the one that really matters is um, towards the end when he is um, no has won. No has won and he is walking through that crowd and seeing all of his colleagues who were like pounding the table. This is important because of politics, yada, 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 all of these things. Um, this is important for the future of the people. And they're all being interviewed, including Fernando, who is the one who is the most like fire and brimstone. We're not making this look like advertising. We're making this real, you know, um, yep. the one who the person on the campaign who is like the other side of the coin of Renee, you know, they, they butt heads pretty frequently um immediately yeah immediately and continuously you know um even though they're working together and seeing fernando being interviewed it's interesting to see renee walk through that crowd and i think what we're supposed to get out of that is him wondering starting to wonder about the motivations of everybody else around him he's been wondering about his own motivations and now he's wondering if these colleagues who i think he believed really felt they were doing this for the greater good. And I, mm-hmm. I bet people like Fernando definitely think in their own heart if they're doing about them, that they are doing these things for the greater good. But I think Renee's starting to wonder, did they really do it for that? Or did they do it to make themselves look good? Did they want to be answering questions on, on, a, on a successful night? Did they want to use this to parlay this into another element of their career? And right. um, I think that is, it's so interesting and then he go, he leaves that 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 room and um, is then just walking in the street with the people 
and holding Simon. And we see this is the face journey of of face journeys for this movie. He actually no, the last one's even better. But um, the we see him holding Simon, and we see him sort of like being among the people who are celebrating. And and I think he's quietly thinking, this is why I did this. I did this to be to feel what these people are feeling to help these people. And I think he, he has seen that like where he is in life and what he's doing isn't positive, but at least in this, in this instance, he was, um, he did something positive, you know? And I think that he is that night. I think he's happy with what he did. And I think he thinks the, the methods he did or used to do it were, were worth it you know i think i think that is legitimate joy that he is feeling and i think he sort of yeah. feels at peace in the world at for that walk down the street you know yeah if yeah not for much longer you know yeah no, I, I think that's right yeah and i think that's that's the journey of renee is him figuring out who he is and then figuring out what's wrong about that and then figuring out what makes him happy and then being forced into what he was doing previously because that's just who he is um and that's how we get the the last scene of them playing the soap opera ad that they've already pitched and shot um, as they're working on the, as they're working on the no and in Lucho's perspective, uh, yes campaign. They've already shot this, uh, this ad from the helicopter. Um, And then he has to present it and it's low energy because he's figuring out like, what am I doing? But I think the, I think part of the reason why he looks so dejected watching that ad in the last shot of the movie as he watches watches this is because he's sort of I think he he maybe worries that like it's gone too far you know like it was was like what we talked about right off the top it's it was positive but I think he can now see where it's going and I think it's it's important to note that the ad for the soap opera is the most close to reality um stylistically like it's it meant to mimic reality it is meant to be broadcast during a news broadcast um it's you know what 20 years later we would call viral you know like it's it's this faux viral thing it's like remember there was when mad men was on there was a kodak commercial or something that was put in the middle of a commercial break and designed specifically like shot like Mad Men using the same like film stock and everything specifically to stop people who had PVR'd Mad Men and who were fast forwarding through commercials. And it was designed <laughs> to look like Mad Men. And I it, don't remember this. That's yeah, great. Yeah. And, um, and it's like, it's like the 1988 version of that, you know? And I think that, um, I think Renee, he thought he had answered his questions, but he, in answering those questions, he just opened up can of worms upon can of worms upon can of worms. And maybe he's just Lucho now, you know, like maybe jump forward 20 years and he's, he's running the ad agency and he's just making free cola ads all day, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's right. Or at least that's what he's imagining is the logical conclusion. If he doesn't mm-hmm. take this opportunity to do something um, different or more meaningful or more aligned with his values. Yeah, exactly. It's he, he can see the future because the future is in the room with him, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's all I've got. You've got anything else you want to talk about? No, I don't think so. I yeah. think that's. Um, I don't think we're ever going to kind of nail this down. No, I think <laughs> oh, no, God, the, no. the whole the whole point of this and yeah. kind of what makes it uh, an interesting movie. Yes, which I think is true of every Pablo Lorraine film that I have seen and loved. Um, so yeah, uh, thanks for listening to the Guffman, and check back next time. Mm-hmm.